I'm going to ask that we bow our heads in prayer, every head bowed and every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee that on this beautiful evening Thou hast already been speaking to our hearts, and we pray that Thou wouldst draw many to Thyself tonight, that they may find purpose for their lives, peace and joy in their hearts, and assurance as they face the future. For we ask it in Christ's name, Amen. I'm sure that all of you that are watching by television know by now that we are coming to you from Jackson, Mississippi, the friendliest state in all America. And this is the great stadium where Ole Miss plays some of its great games. And tonight we have here 37,000 people, not quite filled, but it'll be filled before long. But 37,000 people are here tonight from all over the state of Mississippi. And we've had a glorious and wonderful evening. It's been raining for I don't know how many days, and yesterday it stopped. And today has been a glorious and wonderful day. And we appreciate the fact that so many people have been able to come and be with us tonight. Now I want you to turn with me to the fifth chapter of Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And I'm not going to ask you tonight, but beginning tomorrow night, I'm going to ask how many have brought their Bibles? How many have brought their Bibles? Bring your Bible. We're not here to put on a show. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to teach you what the Bible has to say about the problems that you face in your life, in your home, in your community, in the nation, in the world. So bring your Bible, Revelation, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. It's been our privilege to preach the gospel on every continent. We've preached the gospel all across Africa. We've preached the gospel all across Latin America. We've preached the gospel all across Asia. We've preached the gospel all across Europe. And the scripture says in that day, they're going to be gathered to sing the new song of salvation, people from every kindred, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. The Chinese will be there. The Russians will be there. They say that there are no Christians whatsoever in Albania. Don't you be too sure. God had his people in Caesar's household. God's got his people in Albania. There isn't a tribe, there isn't a group, probably in the world, that there isn't somebody that loves God and that loves Christ, though they may not even know his name. You know, when they reached Helen Keller and they talked to her about God, she said, I knew him, but I didn't know his name. She was deaf, she was dumb, she was blind. But deep down inside of every person, they know that there's a God. And I believe that if a person sincerely seeks God with all their heart, God will somehow get that message of the gospel to them. And God uses us to do it. And has made us, our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, every person that knows Christ is a king. 
and you're a priest. And you're someday going to reign with Christ on the earth, according to this passage. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels. I've just written a book on angels. Did you know that there are no books on angels? That was a strange thing to me. There are few, a little handful, maybe four or five that you could buy in a dusty part of a bookstore somewhere. Some of them are biblically based and some of them are not. And when I found that out, I decided I was going to write a book on angels. We've got all taken up with the devil and demons and the occult and hundreds of books on that subject. Nothing on angels. My book will be out October 1st, by the way, if you want to go to your bookstore and get it. I'm not putting a plug in, but go get it anyway, because I believe it'll bless you and inspire you to know that they that be with us are more than they that be with them, and that the angels of God are far greater in number and more powerful than the devil and all of his demons, and they're going to win the battle, and we're on their side, and they're on our side. Sing with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Here's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I've read that chapter, I suppose, a hundred times this year. I've almost memorized the entire chapter because it's almost one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. The glory, the praise, and the honor to the Lamb that was slain and who is someday to be King of kings and Lord of lords and who is going to reign over the whole earth. And you can be sure that when the smoke of battle clears from Armageddon, he will be the one that will be standing there as the leader, the master, the ruler of the world, and the world will know peace because of him. Now, I want to talk about him for just a moment. I want you to see the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when he finished his first sermon in Nazareth, and after he had read from the Scriptures and finished his commentary, he closed the book and he sat down, and it says all the eyes of the people were fastened on him. I want you to see him tonight several ways. I want you to see him the one to whom some of you serve, the one that some of you are being called to tonight. I want you to see him first as a creative Christ. The Bible says all things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. A few weeks ago, I addressed the scientist out at Los Alamos, Experimental Laboratory in Atomic Science, and I was told something very interesting. I think I was the first clergyman ever invited to address them. They said, you know, a few years ago, very few scientists believed in a personal God, but that's all changing now. The scientists from the hard sciences are coming to believe in God. And the Scripture says concerning Christ, for by Him were all things created. That means the grass the sun that is setting over there, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the planets, the universe, all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and he is the one that holds it together. So says Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Thrones, dominions, powers, yes. There are thrones and dominions and powers not only in this world, but in other worlds. Do I believe that other planets are inhabited? Yes, I do. I believe that there are angels. I believe there are demons. And the demon world is highly organized, but so is the angelic world highly organized. And in my study of angels this year, I've come to learn something about these wonderful beings with tremendous power that are agents of God that are to minister to the heirs of salvation. He created the whole thing, the Lord Jesus Christ, made by him and for him, and without him, it would blow to pieces the thing that holds the universe together in its precision that we set our watches by is Jesus Christ. And he's the one that I'm asking you to bow your knee to tonight. Confess him as your Lord and trust him as your Savior. It's all his. He created it all. Sometimes so small, a little insect that you need a microscope to see it. Sometimes so large that our most powerful telescopes cannot see it but it's all created by him. He's the designer behind all the design, the lawmaker behind all law, the creator behind all creation. When he prepared the heavens, the scripture says, I was there. Before Abraham was, I am. I am that I am. I am the eternal present. Jesus never had a past. He has no future. It's all present with him to you. And I, locked into time and space, there's a future and there's a present and there's a past, but not with Jesus. He's always been. He always will. And we're seeing the drama of our little planet acted out right now. And it's moving toward its last frenzied, frantic, moments, perhaps. We can't set dates, but we know the time is drawing near when something has to give. It can't go on like it's going very much longer. And the key to the whole thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe in him? Have you put your trust in him? Our magazines and, and newspapers are filled with stories today about the emptiness of our generation, about the fact that young people are searching for purpose and meaning in their lives. They don't know what it's all about. They don't, that's the reason the world is in such a mess. We don't have a philosophy of life. We don't really know what our purpose is. We don't know why we're even on this planet. We're all confused and we're all mixed up. And so we turn to the occult or we turn to drugs or we turn to sex or we turn to something else to escape. One of the most beautiful movie stars in the world was quoted in the paper last week as saying, I hate to get up every morning. I hate to face a new day. 
But she said, I hate the nights even more. And she said, if it weren't for my sleeping pills and my whiskey, I don't know what I'd do. And yet everybody thinks she's beautiful, glamorous, wealthy, but miserable inside. One of our comedians was quoted in the press the other day as saying, I have never really spent a happy day. Why? Because you see, the secret of happiness and peace and joy is Christ. The second thing about Christ, I want you to see the creative Christ, the curative Christ. The scripture says he went about doing good. He went about doing good. Wouldn't you like to see a person that did nothing but that just went about doing good? He came to open the eyes of the blind. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and so forth. He said that in his first sermon too. And so they brought the blind and the lame and the insane and the demon-possessed. They brought them to him by the thousands, and he healed them all that came across his path. Jesus never met a human need that he did not supply. We have three great needs today. You do. I do. There's physical disease. A lady was in to see me just a moment ago, and she's going for an operation to the hospital tomorrow. She needs prayer, as we all do when we go into the hospital. My brother went into the operating room four months ago to have brain surgery, and he's had three brain operation since then, thank God. It was not malignant, and thank God he's getting well. But it's been a long process. He's been on antibiotics for four solid months. He's testified on our television program before, and I appreciate the prayers of thousands of you that have prayed for my brother Melvin. And God has answered prayer and restoring him to health, and I believe it's because of prayer. But look in the Bible, that leper, leprosy in those days, incurable. They had to go around saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. They were social outcasts. And Jesus not only spoke to the leper, Jesus touched him. And he was immediately healed. And Jesus will touch you. But they brought a palsied man to Jesus, a paralyzed man to Jesus, and Jesus surprised everybody by saying, Thy sins have forgiven thee. That man didn't ask to have his sins forgiven. He wanted healing. But Jesus said, You've got a deeper need than your physical need. You've got a spiritual need. And there are some of you in hospital beds right now watching this program. And you do have a physical need in that hospital bed. But you have a deeper need, and you need the great surgeon the physician, the great physician to come into your heart and forgive your sins. You need to surrender to him right now because you have a greater need than physical need. A second need that we have is psychological need. The Philippian jailer came running before Paul and Silas and fell down and he was about to commit suicide when they were ready to escape, it seemed to him. And he was filled with fear, he was trembling, he was shaking from head to foot. What is your psychological problem? What's your hang-up? Fear? Anxiety? Hate? 
Jesus came to heal, to touch, to take it out, to bring it under control. Yield your life to him. And then we have spiritual disease. You see, there was a fellow by the name of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a professor of theology over at the seminary. And Nicodemus was wonderfully religious. But he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I, there's something lacking in my life. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you know what you need? You need to be born again. You tithe, you go to the church, not only on the Sabbath, but you go to church all during the week. You live a good life. You're a moral man. But that's not enough for the kingdom of God. Because you see, Nicodemus, even a seminary professor like you is a sinner and you need a new birth. You need a new heart. Have you been born again? Deacon? Elder? Steward? Pastor? I was in West Texas this past week and I was... I addressed the clergy in one of the West Texas cities and I was telling them about one of their own clergymen that told me. He was a Presbyterian clergyman. And he said that one day he was preaching and he said he got converted under his own preaching. That's a fact. He's pastor of a great large Presbyterian church up north now, but he was in West Texas. He said, I'd been through seminary. And he said, I hear I had this large church and one Sunday morning, he said, I knew something was wrong. He said, I had it in my head, but I didn't have it in my heart. And many of you have it in your head, but you don't have it in your heart. You go to Sunday school, you go to church, but somehow the reality of the presence and person of Christ is not there. You need to be born again. Well, how in the world can you be born again, said Nicodemus. I can't get in my mother's womb and be born all over. Jesus said, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. You can be born into the spirit world and become a child of God, an heir of salvation, and have a personal relationship with Christ. I suspect that everybody, almost everybody in this stadium is a member of the church. When I received Christ as my Savior and Lord, I was a member of the church in such good standing, they made me first treasurer of the Young People's Society, and then they made me the vice president. And then finally, I ended up president. They sent me off to the conferences. They said, why, he's one of the finest boys we've got in the church. But they didn't know what I was doing on Saturday night. And one day I found Christ. And the preacher, by the way, that I thought was the dullest old preacher in the world, when I went back to hear him after my conversion to Christ, I thought he was one of the greatest preachers I ever heard. I was listening through new ears, a new heart, a new mind, a new attitude. And that's what Christ offers to all of you that'll come to him. Have you ever said to yourself, the problems are just too great for me? I just can't handle them. The pressures of life, the children screaming. My husband comes home angry. My husband sits in front of the TV all night, pays no attention to me, gets up in the morning, reads the paper while I'm fixing breakfast and we have no relationship whatsoever. And it's just too much for me. I'm just going to give up. How many of you are like that? Give your life to Christ and have a whole new dimension in your life. I know a couple, he's a famous surgeon. He told me this story himself. He and his wife were breaking up. They'd already filed for divorce. 
They had a son that was over in Europe on drugs. They had another child that was down at one of the southern universities, out totally away from God. They had tried to keep up a respectable membership in the Methodist church where they went to. But finally, even that just broke apart and everybody knew that, that they had had it. So they were having a lay mission in the Methodist church and some of the laymen came to give their testimony and this doctor decided he'd go back to church and so he went to church and he sat there and he listened and God spoke to him and when they gave the appeal, he went forward. Unknown to him, his wife was also in the audience and she had come forward and they met at the altar. Now that's a fashionable Methodist church that I'm talking about. But they had turned it into an old-fashioned altar like they used to do. And they grabbed each other and they hugged each other and they felt a tap on their shoulders and they looked around and there was their son who they thought was in Europe. He had come forward too. And at that very hour, their other son was walking across the campus at Duke University in North Carolina, and he ran into a Christian. And that Christian began to witness to him, and that Christian led him to Christ. And that son called that afternoon and said, Dad said, you won't believe what's happened to me, and said, I wish it could happen to you and the rest of the family, but I've just found Jesus Christ. That all happened. Touched by Christ. A family saved by Christ. Are the pressures in your family life just too great? Let Christ come into your heart. And then thirdly, there is the crucified Christ. The crucified Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. He died on that cross in your place. You know, crucifixion is the worst of all the horrible forms of death that man has ever invented. Hanging, the electric chair, the gas chamber, those things are nothing compared to crucifixion. Death by crucifixion was a lingering death which took many hours and many days. Vultures would begin to circle. All decency was abandoned. Not a scrap of clothing was left on the victim. And the mocking and the scoffing and the insults. And Jesus had said, think not that if I would pray that I could ask for 12 legions of angels and they'd come. Did you know that the angels were with Jesus at every turn of his life except one place? That was the cross. He died alone. And he died worse than any man that ever lived. Why? Because he not only died physically, but he died spiritually for you. He took your sins and your dirt and your filth. He took it on the cross, all the dirty words that have ever been spoken, all the dirty thoughts, all the pornographic literature, everything that's ever been done wrong. He took on that cross, every war that was ever fought, every social injustice that there ever was, he took on that cross. And he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He took your sins. Now your sin seems to be a little sin, doesn't it? Greed pride, selfishness, maybe once in a while a little sex on the side. Not too bad, but those little sins are big in the sight of God. And they'll keep you out of heaven and they'll send you to hell. 
and we're all guilty. And Christ died on the cross and God somehow, I don't know how, mysteriously, he took your sins and mine and he took them and put them on Christ. And Christ became the scapegoat. And that's why he's called in the scripture the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. The Lamb that would have its neck slit and the blood would flow on the Jewish sacrificial altars. Jesus became the mighty Lamb of God for you. And you must receive it by faith, receive what he did by faith on that cross. But he also became the conquering Christ. He became the conquering Christ because he didn't stay on the cross. They buried him. But on the third day, he rose again, and there you have the angels again. They made the greatest announcement the world has ever known. He is not here. He is risen. Christ is alive. All that has been happening in Indochina hasn't taken him by surprise. All the things that are happening in the world hasn't taken him by surprise. He's alive. He's watching. He's waiting for that precise moment when the cup of iniquity is filled, when the last soul shall be saved, when the last sermon will be preached, when the last tribe shall be evangelized. Whenever that moment is known only to God the Father, the Son is going to return. And so we have him as the coming Christ. He said, I will come again. In such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him. Yes, Christ is coming. But in the meantime, he is the contemporary Christ, the living Christ in the world today, changing lives, forgiving sin, transforming families, and he can touch your life. He is so contemporary, he is so up-to-date that he can change your life tonight if you let him. You say, Billy, you don't really know all about me. No, I don't know anything about you. You don't know the things I've done and the hypocrisy in my life. You don't know the mess our family's in. You don't know the tensions that we face. You don't know the things that I've done that even my parents don't know. Or my wife doesn't know. Do you think God could really forgive me? You don't know the habit I'm into. You don't, you don't know this thing that's got a grip on me. I do know that Jesus taught that sin is slavery. You can become a slave to sin. And some of you are slaves right now. But the moment you give your life to Christ, the Bible says that sin is no longer on the throne. Sin is no longer the dictator. Sin is no longer king. Sin and the devil are dethroned in your life. Christ is on the throne. Christ rules. Christ reigns. And I start every day by saying, Lord, I want you to direct this day I surrender this day to you. 
And it's a wonderful thing to walk through every day and to know that God is leading and God is directing. It's wonderful to go through every day and know that God has his protective host around you and nothing can touch a hair of your head without his permission. It's wonderful to have that serenity of heart and that peace of soul. It's wonderful to have him come and lift that burden. It's wonderful to have him come and forgive that sin and heal that breach between husband and wife. I'm going to ask you tonight to come and give your life to Christ. You say, but Billy, what do I have to do? I'm going to tell you what you have to do. You have to be willing to humble yourselves. You can't come proudly with your shoulders back and say, look here, Lord, I, you sure are lucky to get me. You've got to humble yourself. And you've got to say, Lord, yes, I'm a sinner. I failed. And you've got to be willing to give up your sins and change your way of life and turn, that means turn, by faith. Notice, by faith, you can't do it intellectually alone. By faith, you receive Jesus Christ as your only Lord and your only Savior. Now, some of you have already received him as Savior, but you've never received him as Lord. Lord of your life. To rule, to reign, to control every moment of every day. Some of you have never received him as Savior or Lord. Lord. 